The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, and Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. And uh, for a special introductory offer, a low-cost trial, you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel, number one by quite a ways. Um, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, those sponsors are Paramount Resource, Paramount Gold and Silver, uh, Prophecy Platinum, Millrock Resources, Rypatch Gold. This week, uh, I titled my show, Gold and Country Confiscation, What Can You Do About It? The reason I titled the show that is because I am more convinced than ever that the American Revolution of 1776 has been totally reversed well, almost totally reversed anyway, by the royalty of Europe, combined with some of the wealthiest families on the face of the earth. And that's been accomplished through a massive propaganda campaign that has taken America back uh, into the portfolio of those very same ruling elites that uh, held the American colonies back in 1776. Ed Griffin, author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, helped us understand who was behind the creation of the Fed, uh, and the real reasons for its creation, as opposed to those that are given to us, the public, that was namely uh, the real reasons was to socialize the losses and privatize the profits. Uh, a, little, a few more other reasons as well, but that was uh, basically the the big one. And we've seen that put into practice, of course, post Lehman Brothers. Mr. Griffin also hinted at a, a connection between the old European wealth and the Federal Reserve and banking interests in America. For example, the Rothschilds and the Kuhn Loeb families were very much integrated into the American banking system back in 1910, 1913, when the Federal Reserve was created, 
when actually uh, in 1910, when one-sixth of the world's wealth congregated in Jekyll Island to find a way, to try to find a way to sneak in Federal Reserve legislation into the American, uh, into the American uh, economy. We got a step closer to seeing a connection between the European royalty uh, on this show when we had Daniel Estulin with us. Uh, Daniel is one of the premier authorities on the Bilderberg Organization, and that is a, an organization that is comprised of European royalty, former heads of state uh, of various states in the, uh, among the Western world, top media moguls and corporate uh, moguls as well, who meet once a year in various countries, they meet once a year in total secrecy, uh, and Estulin has done a lot of work and has written a lot about that. And most recently, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Daniel Coleman about two books he has written. One was titled The Committee of 300, and the other was about the Tavistock Institute, which was formed by the British royalty and then later funded by the Rothschilds to generate a pro-war propaganda in Britain and the United States to create a thirst for World War I among the populace in Britain and the United States. The revelation from Dr. Coleman was so alarming, but yet rings so true when you look at what is really transpiring in the world. How our propaganda machinery is generating a thirst for war right now against Iran, when Iran is absolutely no threat to America. It's all about the military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned about. It's also about the secret societies that President Kennedy warned about, and the kind of societies uh, the likes of which Griffin, Estulin, and Coleman are now talking about. We could throw in our other guests on this show that we've had from time to time, uh, people like Adrian Salbucci, for example, who also uh, tend to confirm what we're talking about here today. The propaganda machine in America is much more effective than anything Hitler or Stalin put together. All the major media outlets in America and the Western world are now owned by the ruling elite who understandably want to keep the status quo which means keeping the American war machinery in place to exploit other nations and their peoples as well. Slowly, though, the propaganda efforts are funded by extremely, that are funded by extremely wealthy families uh, in the minds of the American people have been programmed really to reject the U.S. Constitution uh, that those brave men back in 1776 risked their lives to install. The revolution that Ron Paul has talked about and has written about is, in my view, nothing more than a retaking of the same kind of interest that our founding fathers fought for back in 1776 and which have, in fact, been lost to uh, many of the same uh, royalty interests uh, of Europe. But now we have, uh, with, the, with so many troops in so many countries, uh, America and the whole notion of sovereignty and a move towards one world government is becoming increasingly uh, on the minds and, and uh, of concern to many people. Uh, and many other foreign countries also are very concerned about what's going on. Uh, the one political candidate that stands against this movement and foreign aid and control and domination and military uh, activity overseas, of course, is Ron Paul. Uh, and he is criticized among people, uh, people that are at least label themselves as pro-Israeli as being anti-Israeli and anti-American even because he wants to pull back the troops from various countries and defend our own borders. Well, the question is, is Israel better or worse um, for the aid that America has given uh, to Israel? And we're going to have an interesting discussion today on that topic. Robert Unger, a friend of mine for some years, and Robert Mushnick, who is also a friend, a friend of Robert Unger's, will be coming on. Uh, Mr. Mushnick uh, is a member of the Likud party in Israel, 
and he's going to talk uh, about that uh, issue from his perspective as an active um, as an active uh, person in, in Israeli politics. Well, and we will also get their views on Ron Paul and how he, uh, you know, what a Ron Paul presidency might mean to um, uh, to the Israeli people in general. Uh, much as we like to talk about politics and economics, of course, the powers behind the throne and all that sort of thing, we do try to bring this show to the practical as well to try to help people apply what's going on in the world, the political economic scenario, uh, and then try to find ways to invest and protect their own interests. So we will be going there as well today. We're going to be talking to Chen Lin. Uh, Chen Lin uh, is with me, and as soon as uh, I finish this introduction of today's show, we'll get Chen's ideas about some investments right now. I should also mention, of course, we're talking almost every week about gold and gold investments. And one of the big concerns that people have is that we could lose uh, that we the gold could be confiscated again, uh, and so in the second hour of today's show, we're going to be talking to uh, an individual who has written a lot about uh, this and has talked about it, and has uh, is an attorney. His name is David Gans, and he's going to be with us to talk about uh, gold confiscation in the past, how it was uh, how it was handled, and how uh, if it happens again, how you might protect yourself against that. So that's a topic I think that's going to be very very important. Uh, especially uh, if I and many other people in this show are right and we're heading towards very difficult times. So we're heading towards a time when uh, when governments become increasingly desperate to make ends meet as they are going broke. What, go, what our government might do, of course, the precedent has been set. Roosevelt confiscated, confiscated gold in the 1930s under penalty of uh, jail and uh, imprisonment and, and um, uh, a pretty hefty $10,000 fine at that time. So could it happen again? We'll, we'll get that opinion from Mr. Gans. And also coming on towards the end of the show today, uh, in the second hour, will be Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeffrey Dice, who will be here to uh, offer his opinions on some of these topics as well. Uh, but right now, I do have Chen Lin with me, and uh, I want to talk to Chen. Uh, welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Good to have you here. We're getting off to uh, to a really good start. And by the way, Happy New Year's. Uh, this is uh, the Chinese New Year. It just has gotten underway a couple of weeks later than ours. Certainly, uh, the New Year is treating you and your portfolio and a lot of us uh, quite well so far. Yeah, so far so good. And uh, so, Chen, I know that you have had uh, you know a couple of things that have really done extremely well so far this year. Uh, a couple of oil companies, one in particular over the last couple of days. Tell our listeners about that. Yeah, it's pan-oriented. Actually, today I continue to buy. I just put on a new alert uh, telling my subscriber I've been buying. Uh, even it went up like 70% in, uh, in the new year in the past few weeks. Uh, uh, they hit a very, very nice discovery well. Uh, so basically this well will de-risk the following 13 wells. So they are trading even with a huge jump. Recent huge are still trading at three to four times cash flow, and then they can potential quadruple their production easily, maybe more than that, just uh, for this new discovery. It's like a gold company; you need to make a major hole, you make a major, you know, which can implement a lot, imply a lot more to come. So this well is one of those wells. They hit six zone; they only tested one zone, and then it's restricted flow, and then because of mechanical issues, so they only float 1,000 barrel per day. <laughs> so so it, it, it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing well. 
Where is Pan Orient's uh, projects? Where are they located, Chen? And, and what is the symbol of Pan Orient? The Pan Orient, the POE Adventure. Uh, the uh, they have a uh, they are operating in Thailand and Indonesia. It's mm-hmm. POEFF. It's a pink sheet. What is the? Uh, what are your feelings about the political risks in that part of the world? Relatively stable. Thailand has a uh, democ- they just have a election, democratic elections, and uh, uh, the uh, they, Thailand as well as Indonesia try to stay in the middle between China and the United States. So they, you know, like on the fence. So they try to take advantage, you know, all the different situations. So far, uh, so far, it's pretty good for both countries. What are um what are you looking at in the gold area these days that you like in particular? Yeah, I was quite impressed by Golden Mineral recently by their production guidance. And they beat their original guidance by 30% for gold and 114% for silver. Highly, highly unusual uh, because most of the companies, as we know, uh, recently, as recently like Kinross and Heckler and you know, before as Nico Eagle, they all have problem meeting their guidance. Uh, mm-hmm. They actually uh, expect be the guidance by very big margin. Uh, they are turning around the mines and uh, looks very promising. And then they can grow organically. That's mm-hmm. what I got. So it so looks really, uh, really promising. Four million ounces. That's what I got. Four million mm-hmm. ounces next year. How much? Four million ounces of silver next year. Silver. Yeah, next year. Yeah. And with some gold credits, I guess as well. I think they put gold to silver equivalent. Yeah. Okay. All right, so four million uh, ounces of gold equivalents, Chen. I think I know. I, I know that one of your major concerns, and, and it's mine as well, given my view of the markets, that we could have you know pretty weak markets generally, and the the inability of small cap companies to raise cash. So the whole notion of growing organically is very important, and I think that's also the case with the uh, Pan Orient Energy Company that you were talking about as well, right? The cash flow. Will be sufficient to grow the company, and you won't. They won't need to go out and issue more shares and dilute shareholders' interest. Is that true of Absolutely. both companies? Absolutely, that's the same. Same thing for Mart. I mean, that's what I'm focused on. The company don't need to dilute their shareholder. Uh, Pioneer has a dollar cash, by the way. So a dollar in cash, okay, and lots of cash flow coming in now from production. Exactly. All right. Well, then we are just dollar about... cash flow. I mean, if they, you know, see what as good as I've hoped. And that's true of another company too, Mart Resources, which is another exactly. another favorite of yours. We uh, we are running out of time here for the first segment, Chen. I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your your views. You've gotten off to a terrific start this year, and folks, for those of you who are not familiar with Chen Lin, he has uh, done extremely well in the past over the long term since 2003. He turned five thousand four hundred dollars into over a million and a half dollars in his uh, wife's IRA account. It's the one that we track all the time tell you about because it, it's a, a very accurate and easy measurement to uh, to track Chen's record. So he is a man of success and, and very worth listening to. Thank you again, Chen, for coming on with us. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with some very interesting conversation and some views you don't hear too much about probably from Israel, from uh, some friends of Israel and Israelis themselves. Um, anyway, we're going to have Bob Unger and uh, Robert uh, Mushnick is going to be with us uh, right after the break, uh, we're going to hear some very interesting uh, things, I believe, about uh, what's going on in Israel and a different perspective than you might hear most generally in the mainstream media. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold. Gold and Silver Exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business
you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, I'm really uh, pleased to have uh, with me today Robert Unger, uh, Bob Unger, we'll call him Bob, uh, since I've known him for some years, and Robert Muchnik, uh, two very interesting people. Uh, before I r- read off their bios to you, I'd like to just say that uh, the, that we're really focused, you know, these days a lot on, on in the mainstream media, is focused on the uh, Republican primaries, is what's going on there. Uh, and of course, there's one man that stands out, and we are very clear uh, on this show. I am that uh, I am in favor of Ron Paul and his basic views of his political philosophy, which really is the closest to what we uh, what, what became our law in 1776, and has been largely ignored since then. Uh, in the presidential debates, of course, Ron Paul is labeled as uh, you know like a, a softy. Uh, uh, and that he would be very bad for Israel, very bad for the security of the United States, very bad for the whole world uh, order as it is as it exists now, and, and that in fact could be true, I suppose. Uh, the world order uh, in Ron Paul's uh, presidency would would change uh, to one in which the U.S. was less domineering around the world. Uh, but in fact, uh, is Ron Paul would a Ron Paul presidency be bad for Israel? Well. Um, in fact, there is an element, as I understand it, within Israel that feels that a Ron Paul presidency could actually be the best outcome for Israel. Uh, representing that train of thought, I believe, uh, is a long-term friend of mine, as I just mentioned, Robert Unger, and he is an attorney at Capillus and Unger. Uh, he's focused on various aspects of the law. He is a graduate from Fordham University and has a bachelor's degree from John Jay College, criminal justice uh, of the city of New York. And Robert uh, has brought his friend along, um, an Israeli who is active uh, within the Likud party. His name is Robert Muchnik, as I just mentioned. He is the uh, U.S. director of, um, in English, the English equivalent. I'll let him tell you uh, how to pronounce it uh, um, but the Jewish leadership movement is what he's involved with, which is the largest faction inside Israel's ruling Likud party. Um, and this uh, organization, uh, that is the uh, Jewish leadership movement, strives to restore Jewish values, pride, and integrity to the state of Israel. Uh, among their goals are to end the taking of all foreign aid. Um, that sounds like something that would jive with Ron Paul's agenda. Uh, to make Israel's currency sound money. That also sounds like something Ron Paul would be in favor of. And to annex and settle all lands liberated in the war of 1967. The head of the Jewish leadership movement, uh, Moshe Feiglin, has recently been called the former uh, by the former Knesset uh, speaker, Avram Berg, uh, of the Labor Party, the most important man in Israel, uh, in Israeli politics uh, discourse today. And Mr. Feiglin is currently running against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, for the chairmanship of the Likud party and uh, and considering that the Likud uh, party produces most of the prime ministers uh, in Israel the current election will most likely decide the next prime minister of Israel so this is uh, you know this is big time politics here uh 
Mr. Muchnick uh, has an economics degree, we might mention as well, uh, from Tufts University. And if we get around to it, we want to ask him um, perhaps something about the economics, uh, the economic assist, uh, situation in Israel today. Well, we'll uh, welcome uh, both of you, Robert Unger and, and Robert uh, Muchnick, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks. Thank you, Jay. Good to have both of you with me. Um, I think for the sake of keeping the two of you straight, well, I think I'll refer to Robert Unger as Bob, and then I'll just call Robert when I want uh, when I when I would call on Robert Muchnick for answers to questions. Since we're not sitting in the same room together, we are speaking on phone. It's very difficult sometimes to coordinate our our discussion. Uh, I want really want to thank both of you um, for coming on and. Uh, and I want to ask you about your views on the American political situation, uh, certainly Ron Paul, who I've made no bones about being uh, in favor of. Uh, but before we get to that point, I want to lay the groundwork for getting some more understanding of, of uh, the, the origins of the state of Israel. We know in 1948 the Balfour Declaration, in my mind, is when the state of Israel began, because that's I know it traces its history way back to biblical days, but... Um, but here's a here's a question uh, for you. Um, do both of you believe that there is a land that is rightfully Israel's? Because um, you know I've read recently in some of the literature that there is a concept of a geographical territory uh, that is rightfully belongs to to the Jewish people um, because it was granted to them by God uh, as through the uh, the Torah. Is that is that your belief, the both of you? Yes. Well, I'm going to let Rob uh, answer the majority of that question, but I just want to point out that we are what I would call biblical Zionists. We're not uh, the type of Zionists who unfortunately have mostly ruled Israel, who are basically secularists. Our basis, our foundation, if you will, come from the Torah, and I'm going to let uh, Rob finish that. Okay, Rob. Uh... Robert Muchnick. Um, more to add on that topic? It, it, Jay, it's actually Muchnick, but that's okay. <laughs> um, You're right, and I said it wrong again. Muchnick. Okay, exactly. That's my good. apologies. And uh, one other thing, I'm not Israeli yet. I'm still American. Oh, okay. All right. And you said yet. Are you thinking of becoming Israeli? Uh, eventually, yes. Absolutely. Okay. So, and yes, to answer the question, yes, I do believe that... Uh, uh, the Jewish people's deed to the land of Israel is in the Torah. It's not from the United Nations. Uh, the United Nations giveth and the United Nations taketh away. Mm-hmm. Um, since that day in 1948, when they, when they agreed to give uh, the land of Israel to the Jewish people, they have worked fastidiously uh, with well over half of all of the work that the United Nations has done in terms of resolutions at uh, trying to destroy the state of Israel and condemning it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have some kind of a preoccupation with the Jewish people, and um, we, definitely, so we definitely think that the Torah is our deed. However, I can speak to legal rights. I think we have better legal rights than the people who call themselves Palestinians, too. And I say that because I agree with what Newt Gingrich said um, two weeks ago when he said the Palestinians are an invented people, a modern invented people, invented solely to destroy the state of Israel. Hmm. Um, And I can certainly go into that if you would like me to. Well, I think we certainly will want to uh, hear more about that, who invented them and so forth. 
Um, and I'm just looking here to see how much time we have before the break. But because we're going to have you back on the other side of the break, obviously we're just, just getting warmed up here. But the Arabs, of course, also believe that that land is theirs too. Or do, or do, do they believe it? Or, or is this something that you were suggesting has been concocted, uh, made up, as uh, Newt Gingrich has suggested, okay. rather than... Uh, I mean, what is the argument that is made and, and proposed that this is a land that belongs to both Arabs and uh, and Jews? Well, the Arab argument. Well, let's take a look at who's running the the so-called Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. We've got the original Palestinian nationalist is a man named Hajj Amin Al Husseini, who was in, installed as Grand Mufti of Jerusalem in 1920 by the British. Mm-hmm. He didn't win the election. The British thought they could control him, and so they put him uh, as the Mufti. There was an election of five people. He came in third. Mm-hmm. Um, he wound up uh, um, he wound up riling up the local Arabs, taking in foreign Arabs for uh, a mercenary army to attack uh, the Jews who were trying to build a state in the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. And he. Over the years, in 1920, from 1929, uh, 1929, he massacred uh, 69 Jews in, in Hebron. He started massacres from 1936 to 1939. Then when World War II broke out, he decided to spend it in Berlin with his friend Adolf Hitler, and he is actually the one who whispered into Hitler's ear to eliminate the Jews instead of just deport them. And Hitler said, you know, you have a great idea. I think I'll take you up on that. And he had big plans for uh, building another Auschwitz uh, when, the, when the Nazis rolled their way into what was then uh, the Mandate of Palestine. But thank God they never made it there. They just they were stopped in Egypt. Okay. Um, we're so, going to have to go to a commercial break here, but give me the name of that gentleman. That gentleman. I just, uh, don't want to call him that. The individual uh, that you were talking about, the British thought they could control? Hajj Amin al-Husseini. Al Husseini. Okay. Okay. And they were unable to, uh, interestingly enough, uh, this, this man uh, uh, was not a very good, very, very evil man, let's put it that way, the way it sounds. But the British were using and hoping to control, I guess, their economic interest in that region through the use of this, of this man, and it didn't work out. Correct. Uh, very interesting uh, history. This is really an interesting history lesson. Folks, don't go away. We're going to go to commercial break, and we're going to come right back. We want to try to understand what really happened. That's what this show is about, understanding what, what is really going on as opposed to what we're hearing in the mainstream media. And this is really some fascinating stuff. So you don't, you're not going to want to miss uh, both uh, Robert Unger and Robert Muchnik uh, on the other side of the break. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. 
To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again uh, back on this side of the break uh, Robert Unger and Robert Muchnik. Uh, at, the, at the break, we were talking, uh, Robert Muchnik, about um, uh, Muchnik. Sorry, you Robert got it. Muchnik. That's good. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Can't get it right. I'll get it right by the time the show is over. Uh, we were, we were, you were giving us some very interesting uh, history here about how the British tried to control the region uh, through this individual called uh, Ali. Ali, help me out again. Al Husseini. Al Husseini. Al Husseini, and how they were unable to, and then how he sort of connected with some really bad individuals, and and some of those people uh, prior to, of course, the. The birth of the modern state of Israel in 1948, because you were talking about how he hooked up uh, with uh, Adolf Hitler, I believe, and then also uh, later on, as I understand it, connected with um, Yasser Arafat, or Arafat was his student. Is that correct? Correct. Um, Yasser Arafat was his prize pupil, and so what? Uh, his second prize pupil was Mahmoud Abbas, the current uh, head of the so-called moderate um, Palestinian Authority. So-called moderate Palestinian, you know, who, who are calling these these people moderates? I guess that's our mainstream media. 
our mainstream media, the American establishment, and the Israeli establishment. Okay, so we go back to the British. The British uh, you tried to use this guy to control the region. The British were interested in the British, obviously. I mean, this is what empires are interested in. The American empire is interested in maintaining its, itself and growing and getting richer and, um, I think, abusing other people. But um, so, so take us then, what led up to 1948 and the Balfour Declaration? How did that, how did that come about? Well, basically, in the time period um, from the end of World War I until 1948, the British had... Uh, issued the, the Balfour Declaration during World War I simply in order to get uh, Jewish sentiment and Jewish money on their side in World War I as opposed to on the side of uh, the Russians. Mm-hmm. They were, or, or on, the, on the, excuse me, on the side of the Germans. They were mm-hmm. deathly afraid that the, uh, the Jews would side with the other side. Mm-hmm. So they issued the De- Balfour Declaration um, to get all of American Jewish money to come to their side. Mm-hmm. Um, then, and the, and the Balfour Declaration said that they would be there would be a state of Israel. Is that right? Well, it, it's it said that uh, England wants to create a Jewish national homeland mm-hmm. in um, quote unquote Palestine, mm-hmm. and that the League of Nations after the war um, adopted that and made British the mandatory power. So Britain was obligated to create a Jewish national homeland and to foster close Jewish settlement throughout the entire Mandate of Palestine. Now, immediately after they uh, took control of this mandate, they cut off 78% of it and installed um, the Hashemites out of uh, Western Arabia in charge of what they called Transjordan at the time. Hmm. And and they refused to let any Jews settle there. So they violated their own oath within months, within six months, um, and gave the Jews... uh, They said, well, we'll let the Jews settle in the other 22%. They also cut off the Golan Heights and gave that to Syria. Mm -hmm. Um, So from 100%, we're down to 78%. Mm -hmm. Then out of that 78%, throughout, uh, throughout that 22%, over the next uh, couple of decades, uh, oil was discovered, and oil became very uh, important. Mm-hmm. And the Jews didn't have any oil, at least not, none, that was, none that was easily uh, accessible until now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so the Jews didn't have the oil, and as Neville Chamberlain said, if we, should, uh, if we must defend one side, let it be the Jews, um, because they didn't have the oil. Mm-hmm. And so... The Britons, the Brits, every couple of years would conduct a panel, uh, some kind of a commission, and where they would see how they could legally stick it to the Jews and help the Arabs. So their latest commission in 1937, they decided to create a state of Israel literally around Tel Aviv, the city-state of Tel Aviv. That was their proposal. Um, and Ben-Gur- David Ben-Gurion, who became the first prime minister of Israel, who was such a... Uh, I have, don't have all that much nice to say about him. He did a lot of things building the state well. He did a lot of bad things, too, which I won't go into. He accepted that deal, and the Arabs turned that down. Mm. They turned down just having a Jewish state in Tel Aviv. Um, the Arabs have turned down every opportunity to have a state. They turned down the U.N. They turned down all the British uh, offers. 
They've turned down every suggestion since then, since Israel has offered them uh, a deal. Now, it's funny how the Arabs now uh, complain how they want international law to come on their side. Well, international law is not on their side because they never agreed to any of these resolutions. Hmm. Not to mention, in 1967, the Arabs attacked Israel. Mm-hmm. The Arabs started the war. Israel won. International law says when you attack and you lose, you have to take all your citizens back into what's left of your territory, mm-hmm. um, after, which they haven't done. Jordan and Egypt haven't done. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, after, after that, uh, there was a UN resolution which said Israel's entitled to defensible borders, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't have to give back. Any certain amount of land is entitled to defensible borders. Mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson authorized a U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff report documenting how much land Israel has to keep at a minimum in order to have defensible borders. Well, it has to keep all of the all of the Gaza Strip, mm-hmm. to keep 85 percent, 85 to 90 percent of what is commonly known as the West Bank, mm-hmm. which I call and Jews call Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. Now, if I digress for one second here. Mm-hmm. Arabs can't be thrown out of Arabia because that's where Arabs come from. Mm-hmm. Jews can't be thrown out of Judea because mm-hmm. that's where the word Jew comes from, mm-hmm. Judea. Mm-hmm. That's where 93% of all of the places mentioned in the Jewish Bible are located, in mm-hmm. Judea and Samaria. Sure. So now, in order to make this an Orwellian world and to whitewash Jewish claims to the land, the world calls this land the West Bank because West Bank is a neutral term. Uh-huh. You can throw Jews out of the West Bank, but you can't throw Jews out of Judea. So they changed the name, and Orwellian, I think, is what I, I, I think is a theme that I hear running through all the way back to uh, the time when the British uh, promised the Jews right. one thing and then didn't deliver and, and basically took away what they had promised. And the, the question is, why does Israel put up with this? Yeah, I, ha- I had an, I had an. Um, conversation with an Arab reporter from the Jerusalem Post, Khaled Abu Tuwameh. Mm-hmm. He, he told me, he said, I would write for the Ramallah Times if, if Arafat would let me write what I wanted, but if I want to write, if I, if I write what I want, they'll kill me. He mm-hmm. said, the Jerusalem Post lets me write whatever I want to write. Mm-hmm. So he said, I understand the Arabs. They tell you in English that they want peace. They tell their own populace in Arabic don't worry about what we say in English. Mm-hmm. We're going to kill all the Jews. We're going to take all of Israel. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't understand the Israelis. He said, they know the Arabs are lying to them, but they keep making concessions. Why is this? Mm-hmm. And I will tell you why. This, this is what it comes down to in the, on the Israeli side. Israel was founded by people who want to be Israeli and not Jewish. Mm-hmm. They were communists, and as you, I'm sure, know, in communism, the state is God. There's no room for any other God. Right, correct. And so these people wanted to have a state for the Jewish people, but only the enlightened Jews, and only the ones who were Jewish, but their Judaism is really buried far down underneath their, their clothes. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, not obvious, and it's not prominent. They wanted enlightened Jews who were Israeli, and... When Israel took, this is the most important point of the conflict. Israel won the, won the, our whole, Jewish, Judaism's holiest site, the Temple Mount in 1967, from the, from the Jordanians. Now, from 1948 to 1967, not one Arab leader, not one world leader visited um, the Temple Mount. Not mm. one. 
That's how important it is, that site <laughs> is to the Arabs. It's yeah. not important at all, except when they don't have it. Yeah. So when Israel got it in 1967, the famous Israeli general, Moshe Dayan, was there. The, the, the soldiers put the Israeli flag up. Moshe Dayan came two hours later. He saw the Israeli flag, and this is direct from his memoirs. He said, I saw the Israeli flag on the Temple Mount. I said to myself, if the flag stays up, the Jews are going to want to pray there. If the Jews pray there, they're going to want to build a synagogue there. If they build a synagogue there, they're going to want to take down the mosque. If they take down the mosque, they're going to want to rebuild the temple, the holy temple. He said, this is not my dream. The flag came down, and they gave the keys to sovereignty of our holiest site to the Arabs literally that day. Hmm. So now, if, you, if your holiest site is not yours, then you are the occupier. And no matter how much the enemy kills us and blows us up and stabs us, they have justice on their side, and we're the occupiers. They're allowed hmm. to do it. Hmm. And so we need to... The people who started Israel were the Israelis. They built the state. They did a good job. But their ideology is now bankrupt. All they care about is power. They have to go. We need Jews in charge of Israel, Jews who care about Israel be- being Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about a theocracy like Iran. Just mm-hmm. simply being run according to Jewish values, knowing that you're Jewish. Um, and that's, uh, and that's, I, what the, that's what the conflict's about now. I think well, an important, it's, it's, important it's, point to make, Jay, is okay. that... The word Palestine comes from the Emperor Padrian. When the Romans embarked on taking over Jerusalem and ransacking the temple and destroying the temple, Mm -hmm. the Philistines had been the historical enemy of the Jews. We all know the story of David and Goliath, Mm -hmm. the Philistine giant. And so Emperor Padrian turned the name to Philistina. Mm -hmm. Stick it to the Jews and, in effect, rub their face in their destruction. Mm-hmm. And the word Philistina morphed into Palestine. So that, so the Philistines are not Arabs. They have nothing to do with Arabs, and they, and they were not Muslims, obviously. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is a quote in this book that I have mentioned to you in a, in a phone conversation by Joan Peters called From Time Immemorial, mm-hmm. where a, a Gentile woman... A Christian woman, Joan Peters, had gone to Israel and spent years writing this book. And she interviewed the Arab leaders. And I'll let Rob Muchnik (laughs) Muchnik, (laughs) read to you the quote from one of the heads of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Go ahead, Rob. Okay, so um, one of Arafat's top deputies was a man named Zuhair Musin. In 1977, he was a bit too honest. He made the, the, public st- the following statement in a Dutch newspaper called Trouw. He said, The Pal- Palestinian people does not exist. The creation of a Palestinian state is only a means for continuing our struggle against the state of Israel for our Arab unity. In reality, today there is no difference between Jordanians, Palestinians, Syrians, and Lebanese. Only for political and tactical reasons do we speak about the existence of a Palestinian people, since Arab national interests demand that we posit the existence of a distinct Palestinian people to oppose Zionism. Hmm. What he's saying is that when it's tiny Israel against the entire Arab world, since people root for uh, David against Goliath, Mm -hmm. the world was on David's side, the Jews' side. Mm -hmm. By creating the fraudulent state of Palestine, Mm 
the Arabs have become David because the Jews refused, the Israelis refused to assert their Jewish claims, so they let the Arabs be David in, the, in, this, bat, in this PR battle. Mm-hmm. And that's why now Israel is, Israel is slowly fading away. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely the impression you get, is that uh, the, the so-called Palestinians are the downtrodden, they are the, um, the Davids. And Israel, big power, let's say powerful, wealthy, rich Israel aligned with the United States, uh, and it's, you know, the superpower of the world today is, uh, you know, is what little David is up against. Is that, that's part of the deal too. With you, because Israel in the minds of, of, it seems the modern media, the major media is, um, you know, is like the 51st state of the United States. Correct. Israel is the 51st state of the United States and if if it's not, the Israeli leadership wants to portray it as it is. Ariel Sharon was asked, "Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving Gaza? When six months ago you said, as Gaza goes, so goes Tel Aviv." Mm-hmm. He yeah. said, "Well, he said if we if we don't leave Gaza, the Americans will make us do something worse." Mm-hmm. Now, it's not true. It's just a crutch. Ariel Sharon was simply a crook caught with his hand in the cookie jar, and he had no other choice but to leave Gaza. Mm-hmm. Um, I could give you all the evidence for that later. Yeah. That was what Ariel Sharon did. But they use American aid, which is not needed, um, simply as a crutch for political purposes. Um, one thing Ron Paul should mention is that there's a... Not that my group doesn't take doesn't take sides in uh, American politics. Mm-hmm. However, there are positions that we support. So sure. We definitely support the ending of foreign aid to Israel and to all foreign aid, because mm-hmm. as Ron Paul says, the Arabs get a lot more than the Jews. Mm-hmm. But there is a nonpartisan think tank called the Jerusalem Institute for Market Studies. Mm-hmm. They have determined that every dollar that Israel takes from America actually costs Israel up to $1.40. forty. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that would be a topic for another show sometime because there would be a lot of details involved in that. But that's an interesting concept. In other words, the idea that we have and the idea that's given to us is that Israel couldn't exist without American aid, and that uh, and that Israel is uh, you know a big ally of the United States and and vice versa. That we are just you know the best friends in the world. Well, Israel uh, had her biggest military victories before before she received any aid from America. America didn't start giving aid till uh, after the '67 war. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, Israel Israel did just fine. Even though in 1948, Harry Truman is known for being uh, such a great friend of Israel, he recognized the state of Israel 11 minutes after Ben Gurion declared independence. However, literally at the same time, he was enforcing an arms embargo on Israel, hmm. ensuring that while he could have it both ways, he could he could get the uh, pats on the back for uh, recognizing Israel, but still he'd be eliminating Israel by making sure that she didn't have the arms to defend herself. Yeah. You know, it comes down to, Jay, uh, the United States believed from a strategic and a logistic and a material worldview that Israel did not have a chance. And then they could say, you see, Israel was wiped out, but we did our part. We gave them a state. Mm-hmm. Now they're not here anymore. Mm-hmm. But what the United States under-anticipated or under-rated under, uh, was the presence of God. And 
this is what Jews and Gentiles alike have to know. Israel doesn't exist because the Jews are so clever, even though a lot of Jews like to think they're clever. Israel exists by virtue of the hand of God. There has never been a people that exactly the way the Bible said. Yeah. The Bible stated, I will disperse you throughout all the nations because you didn't obey me, and that if you obey me, you'll get the land back. But if you don't, you will also get the land back, but in my time. Mm-hmm. So 2,000 years later, could you imagine the Iroquois Indians? I live in Great Neck. The Iroquois Indians at what time were here? Could you imagine if they actually came back and formed a nation again and threw us all out of Great Neck? I don't think that's going to happen. Uh-huh. So the hand of God, you know, for those who are non-believers, this sounds like fantasy, and they scoff at it. Well, I might, I might just interject here because, uh, unfortunately, I see we're not going to get to the, all the topics I wanted to today. We've only got a few more minutes in this hour before a hard break. But uh, I think, uh, Bob Unger, you just made a very, very good point, and I think one that sort of I've been thinking of as I've been listening to this conversation is that the, the notion of a God that is in control of the universe, uh, and I think, you know, we talked about the communist and the, the need to get rid of God because the communists have to be the God, and I think that's true in, in fascist dictatorships, too, of, of one, in one way or another. Uh, this, it seems to me that what we're talking about here is a very, is that very basic difference. You can sort of boil it down to that. There are those secular humanist Jews that, that, that don't really care about the God part and, and the, the values that, uh, are inherent in, in true Judaism or Ju- the Judaism that I, as a, as a person brought up as a Christian, understand, you know, the Ten Commandments and those things that Christians also, uh, try to adhere, adhere to, um, but, uh, is this what it boils down to? Because, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, really, it, it seems to me most of Americans are what I would call, I don't know if it's fair to say most American Jews, but a lot of American Jews are liberal politically. They want the state to intervene. They're not in favor of free markets. They're in favor of intervention. And, you know, human beings have to come into the marketplace to make things better, to make them right, because... Well, markets just can't work very efficiently, but boy, if you put a couple of uh, really smart people in charge, then, then we're going to have it better. I mean, isn't that a philosophical difference sure, between, it's, it's a and, and, and between, you know, the founding fathers in America who believed, uh, that were either deists or, or Christians, or they believed that in a, in, uh, you know, in the God, the Judeo-Christian God, uh, that, 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 that history is linear, that it's in the hands of God, and that man, Man can't make it better, but it seems to me today what we have in our in our environment, and it seems that that is that that basic difference between the secular humanist and and those that really believe in God is that is that yeah, fair it, to it, say? It, I would ask both of you to apply on that. The power of Babel, the people who think they can they can control everything, they can control the weather, they can control interest rates, they can control the economy, versus Adam Smith's idea of the unseen hand, but is it really the unseen hand, human nature, and who created nature? God created nature. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the very basic belief, and, and people listening to this show are either on one side or the other. It's not, it's not very easy to be on both. I guess we've had uh, uh, Vincent Bugliosi on this show, who is an agnostic, uh, very well known for his, his work um, in various areas. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it sort of comes down to this, to this, you're on one side of the fence or the other on this issue, aren't you? You either believe or you don't believe. And if you believe, 
uh, and you believe that the Bible is true and that it is the true Word of God, I mean, this is a very basic issue, isn't it? It's the difference between believing in God and thinking you are God. Yeah. I, I, do both, both Roberts see it this way? Ab- absolutely. And my group in Israel, the difference in Israel is um, you have the... We're not right or left. Mm-hmm. We're not typically right-wing. Most people think of us as right-wing. Yeah. We're on a different spectrum. Instead uh-huh. of the right versus left, we're in the Israeli versus Jew spectrum. Yeah. So now the establishment is Israeli, and we are completely different. We're Jewish. Now, on some aspects, we're far to the right, and on some aspects, we're far to the left. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't want Israel to participate. We were against Israel participating in the Chinese Olympics because we are God's representative, and China harvests the organs of, uh, of political prisoners. Mm-hmm. How, can we, how can we support this and sanction mm-hmm. this? So mm-hmm. we can't. On the other hand, we're far to the right because... We say the land of Israel is ours. God mm-hmm. gave it to us. We have no right to give it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, um, we also have every legal right to it. Also, um, the Arabs have fifty. The Arabs have twenty-three countries. The Muslims have fifty-eight countries. It's enough. I mean, if the Jews ha- had fifty-eight countries, we wouldn't be strapping on suicide bomb belts and uh, blowing up uh, the one Arab country on one fifteen hundredth of our land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so we want Israel to be a light into the nations, whereas Benjamin Netanyahu and the rest of the Israeli establishment wants Israel to be a nation like all the other nations. Mm-hmm. That is the difference right there. Yeah. That is, that is a big difference. And uh, I know there's uh, you know, so a lot of questions about uh, recent policies, more police state policies in Israel that are uh, very much like the kind of increased uh, police state policies we're seeing in the United States as well. Both of our countries uh, had been uh, sort of a, a light to the world in many ways in the past. And, and now we are both, I think, looking more and more like you know, historically, like countries look, uh, and and as we both countries, I would argue, have drifted away from this concept of a of a God that's in control of the universe, both uh, as creator and also as uh, as a God that uh, controls our future and our destiny. You know, we only have a, a minute or two left, and and I'm going to ask if uh, if both of you uh, fellows could come back next week and talk, because what I did was only get to the basic foundation about the state of Israel. And your views there, and uh, and how then that uh, you know current policies, how they should evolve uh, in a different direction, and then ultimately you know what your views are on Ron Paul and other other politicians in the U.S. And I know that it's it that neither of you guys are are you know completely behind Ron Paul. You have some issues there that we want to also ask you about, but we just don't have enough time. Next week we're going to have Louis Lehrman come on. He was a uh, a candidate for governor, almost became governor of the state of New York, and he is a gold proponent, a, a believer in going back to honest money. And and maybe I might just ask you, uh, Robert Muchnik, uh, before we uh, before we conclude our conversation today, if you could give us 30 seconds and talk about, it's my understanding that the Likud party has, at least in the past, been interested in uh, in a sound monetary system. Is that correct? Well, my group is interested in sound money. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu is certainly not. He's made no no uh, moves towards it. But okay. uh, in Judaism, it, there's definitely, as in the Constitution, in the Constitution it says there is a, a dollar should be X amount of gold or silver. Mm-hmm. It says the same thing. I'm probably sure that uh, the founders of America got that from 
from uh, Jewish sources because it says the same thing. I don't know if it's the same exact amounts. Um, I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. The honest weights and measures that is talked about in what we Christians refer to as the Old Testament certainly is a, a is a Judeo-Christian concept uh, that I think uh, we need to pay attention to. I've got to go to. We've got to conclude our discussion. Can both of you come back next week? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, great. I want to have you because I want to pick up on this theme. Uh, you know, of honest money. I want to tie it into this uh, this, this this belief in God and and uh, the Ten Commandments and the Torah. These issues, I think, are most important in understanding the foundations of, of and the different worldview that we are experiencing. So, thank you both of you very much for coming on and explaining some of these, I think, very important issues to uh, to our listeners. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back in just a few minutes uh, after the break to talk to our our next guest. Uh, Mr. Gans, who's going to uh, talk about uh, the potential for confiscation of gold in America. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 